Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Topical Brainstorm. I'm Garrett, here with Christian. How are you, Christian? Howdy. Good to see you. How's your uh, day going? Good. Good. Can't complain. Good, good. Well, today we are embarking on yet another chapter of Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, The Story of Success. Today we're going over chapter four called uh the trouble with genius part two so the idea behind this chapter is that just because you are a genius doesn't mean you haven't made and he goes through a few different reasons why that is the case uh what did you think of this chapter it was interesting to say uh the least that's the phrase that is the That's phrase. phrase. That's the phrase. It sounds wrong for some reason coming out of my mouth. But, yeah. And it's it spent a good deal of this chapter talking about Chris Langan again. Who was the guy who went on that TV show and had a super high IQ from a few episodes ago. And it compared him to a man named Robert... How do you say his last name? Oppenheimer? O- o- Oppenheimer is German, how... German, I'm assuming. Oppenheimer. <laughs> Open, okay. Be. <laughs> um, two men who had, who were very smart, but had very different impacts on the world because of what we're going to talk about in this chapter. But it gets back to Chris Langan and how he grew up extremely poor. Talked about how he never really had a steady father figure in his life. Um, how he grew up. I feel like they said that a lot of times he didn't even have shoes or he had like one pair of shoes or regardless, he, the way he put it was, sorry, irregardless, the way he put it was, he didn't know anybody as poor as him his whole time growing up. He always felt like he was the poorest one. And then he tried to go to both Reed College and Montana State and he ended up dropping out Kind of both times. It was a bit of a long story, but both of the occasions came down to him needing a little bit of help from the administrative staff, and they just wouldn't give it to him at all. One, they wouldn't move his classes from like morning to the to the to the afternoon because he didn't have a car anymore, and it was winter in Montana. Anyway, in both cases, it was it was like a little bureaucratic administrative thing. And it forced him or caused him to like give up. And he's, he's still pretty resentful about colleges even today. Or at least when the book was written. Um, and the reason that was noteworthy was because he was a certified genius. The IQ he had. And usually colleges are very helpful and will do anything to keep most students around. But especially smart ones. And that is part of the trouble with geniuses Garrett I agree it's very interesting because there uh, Malcolm writes about this story about Chris where one time he had a a calculus professor who was teaching calculus in this weird uh, obscure way where it just didn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people so Chris went to talk to this professor and he confronted him about how he was teaching his class and the professor just told him that 
unless you're smart enough, you just won't get it. And the funny thing was, uh, Chris was very good at calculus, and he did understand it. But throughout that whole conversation, he failed to let that professor know that he actually did know what he was talking about, which is very interesting. Whereas Oppenheimer, uh, he (laughs) did some pretty messed up things. I think he probably wasn't mentally, like, he's probably slightly mentally ill. He tried to kill, who did he try to kill? Uh, I don't remember who he tried to he kill. He tried to like kill one of his professors, right? Like or one something? of his professors or one of his colleagues or <clears throat> or something while he was in school. I don't remember if it was graduate school or undergrad, but he was able to talk his way out of that situation, which and is not just get kicked out, which is college incredible, <laughs> right? Like you try to kill anybody, you're gone. But he was able to talk his way out of it. And eventually he became one of the scientists that worked um, on the atomic bomb uh, in the Manhattan Project. And he had all these great things happen to him um, career-wise when Chris wasn't able to even stay in school because he couldn't convince administrators to help him out whereas Oppenheimer was able to talk his way out of attempted murder (laughs) that's pretty funny and it said that he he wasn't he was the man who headed up the nuclear bomb effort so he wasn't he was like a leader in that project so obviously a guy that people respected and looked up to at least professionally for him to get that sort of position yeah, and it it came down to Malcolm kind of boiled it down to their communication styles and how they learn to communicate, and then he compares it to the difference between general intelligence and practical intelligence, and he defines general intelligence as essentially IQ, you know what you know, but practical intelligence, which is what he claims that Chris Langan lacks, is defined as knowing what to say to whom, knowing when to say it, and knowing how to say it for maximum effect. So, uh, essentially, social skills, almost. Yeah. And Robert Oppenheimer obviously had plenty of those, even though he tried to murder somebody. Yeah. But Chris did not, and that was... I'm sure the reason why that conversation with his calculus teacher went so poorly... And then also why he couldn't get someone to move his classes from morning to night and had to drop out of college because of it. And it and it goes on. It sounds like Malcolm Gladwell went to, to Chris Langan's house in whatever state it was. But he just lives in this house with his wife. And uh, he doesn't have any sort of title as far as, you know, a professor at Harvard or whatever. And he's working on this big project. You know, some big science-y thing. I apologize. I read the chapter probably two weeks ago, and I can't remember the little details. But what Malcolm Gladwell defines as the trouble with geniuses is they don't always have that practical intelligence. And due to that, they aren't able to have the impact they should have. And a lot of that boils down to the way they were raised. And in the end, it comes down a lot of times if their parents were poor or rich. 
which is crazy. Yeah, that's really interesting to me that you can divide something like practical intelligence statistically on wealthy versus poorer children. Um, but it kind of makes sense the more I think about it, and I think he gave some of these reasons as well, that typically those parents that are poorer have to spend more time at work and less time interacting with their children, whereas those that are a bit wealthier can spend more time at home uh, and teach their kids the skills necessary to interact with authority. Uh, or authority figures uh, in a way that helps them get what they want. Honestly, this reminded me a lot of how to win friends and influence people because a, a lot of the skills are just very similar. You have to know how to interact with people and once you know how to do that, you're way more likely to get what you want and you're more likely to help other people um, feel valued and, and get what they want as well. Yeah. And that kind of brings us to this other study that he talks about, which was done by a woman who followed 12 families and her, her purpose was to kind of discover different parenting styles. And after following 12 families for a really long time, she her conclusion was there were only two types of parenting and they were divided on class lines. And a big part of that, like Garrett just said is, well, um, at least that the rich kids had a lot of structured free time, which means they went to sports games and practices. They had, uh, you know, musical instrument lessons extracurricular activities, all of that, while poor kids had unstructured free time. And I'm sure a factor of that is whether both their parents were working or not, right? How much they were working. But one consequence of this is that the poor kids, a lot of times, they may have been, or they were, a lot of times better behaved, less whiny, and more creative, and they had a better sense of independence because of that unstructured free time at least in part, and because of the parenting style. Um, which, those are all good things, but one downside was they didn't know how to get their way in the world. They didn't know how to communicate or manipulate, in a sense, authority figures in their lives, and that led to them, a lot of times, throughout their whole lives, resenting authority. Yeah. Meanwhile, rich kids... Um, they had to learn, they learned better teamwork, how to cope in structured settings, how to interact with adults, and how to speak up when needed um, were all consequences of the way they were raised. And Malcolm Gladwell defined it as entitlement, in a sense, is that, and an example he used was, if a kid, if a rich kid didn't get into the advanced learning program at his school by a couple points, his parents would contact the school for him and they would ask for him to be retested or they would just like get him into the program anyway because they would bother the administrative people or whatever it was. But 
that made it so the kid learned that like, oh, I don't have to just take what authority figures say the first time and deal with it. Like I can fight for what I want and, and, uh, pursue my own preferences and the poor kid, their, their parents would just accept it and they would just go on and they wouldn't get into that events program. Um, and then, you know, as, as we discussed, there's a, there's a separation there because those kids would be streamed into different programs and get different teaching. But in the end, and you know, that's a huge factor in success in life is being able to deal with authority. Um, and that's nothing that I had ever understood or thought about is how you were raised would really influence the way you perceive and deal with authority in your life. Yeah. Which is very interesting to me because I definitely don't want to be the type of parent that's involved in every aspect of my kid's life. Yeah. I want to figure out a way to teach them that they can get what they want if they stand up for themselves. But I want to teach them that I want to I want to teach them those skills in a way where they're not like total little turds all the time, you know? Like yeah. entitled little pieces of turds yeah. <laughs> so find somehow find a balance yeah these two yeah these two things but the way he described it also made it sound like helicopter parenting is good which is not like it's in my experience that is not the case yeah so i don't know it's interesting i, I totally understand what he's saying though um if you are willing to bother people and stick up for yourself, you're way more likely to get what you want. Yeah. I feel like I kind of dealt with that with this job search I was doing. It made me get out of my comfort zone, but then I like, you know, had to do the whole negotiation thing where you're like, okay, what else can you do for me? And then I took that back to my current boss and was like, I'm not saying I'm gonna leave, but like, I might leave. Like, what are you going to do to keep me, you know? And, like, that was out of my comfort zone for sure. And I felt like I had to get advice from my my parents and also, like, my buddy who's really into all that stuff. <laughs> but, um... Who? Uh, he's, he was our neighbor. He's my neighbor in Midvale. Oh, okay. And he, like, worked at Goldman Sachs and then... So he's just, like, a negotiator? But he's just, like, he's from the East Coast and he's just, like... <laughs> hardcore about that stuff so he gave me some good advice anyway but having the ability to to yeah to just like do that and say what you want and do it in a way that's not um unreasonable unreasonable or off-putting to other people but like standing up for what you need yeah like that's doesn't come super naturally to me but like i i in the end it worked out and like i got a raise and i stayed at my current job but um like having that ability naturally is is definitely just helps you make it in this world. Yeah. And as far as helicopter parenting goes, I I think there's a difference, but I mean, I think if you do a little bit of helicoptering enough to for your kids to understand how to interact with authority, you know, there's there's benefits to it. Yeah. But obviously it could be taken too far. Same with probably any parenting style right yeah. it's all about finding a balance to create a kid who can like 
be a functional adult in, yeah. in any different environment. <laughs> when when <laughs> you when you start getting your kids out of trouble that they deserve to be in, I think you've gone too far. Um, yeah. Like they do something wrong, and whether they lie to you or whatever the reason may be, if you get them out of that trouble, I I think that's just doesn't create a good situation for them like shielding them from natural consequences yeah is, yeah probably yeah yeah but teaching them that they can interact with authority figures and that those figures are just people um i think is a very good thing uh basically this this chapter boils down to you can be really smart, like Chris Langan, but if you don't have the help that you need, and if you don't learn the skills that you need to succeed in life, you won't succeed. Well, I don't want to say that, because I don't feel like Chris Langan is necessarily a failure. He's just not the conventional uh, person that you'd see with that type of intellect. So, He's not the multi-million... Yeah. CEO that you would expect or something. Yeah, like or like the, the hardcore scientist that yeah won the Nobel or something like that. So um, if you don't have the skills to become that type of person, you won't become that type of person, whatever that type of person may be for you, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't have anything to add. No, I, I guess my last thought is it's, this book's obviously focused on, as the title says, outliers, right? And, and looking at, you know, I feel like a lot of times this book defines success as those who are outliers, like financially, right? It's like, you would expect Chris Langan to be an outlier with his financial, or like his, um what's the other word like prestige or title or something but obviously in the real world success comes in a lot of different ways and hard work still brings about success like that's you know it's easy to read this book and be like oh it doesn't matter what i do yeah <laughs> but yeah. yeah that's all i got that's all i have that too. last thought made any sense sorry if it did thanks for listening yeah.